You're listening to the Bourbon and Proposal podcast presented by Federal Compass, where we discuss the boiler room tactics and strategies that can help you win more federal dollars. Welcome back to the Bourbon and Proposal podcast. My name is Nate Winans, and this episode's guest is Stephen Kiernan. Stephen is the CEO at Fortis LLC, a full-service strategy, business development, capture, and proposal development firm. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here. So this this episode is kind of going to be focused around, you know, what does strategy really mean in the federal space? And to kind of get into that before we dig too deep, can you tell me a little bit more about how you got into the GovCon space, a little bit more about your journey into this world? Yeah. So I uh, served in the Marine Corps and I uh, got out after two deployments in 2008, at which time I was recruited by Floor Corporation to work on the Log Cap program. And that's the logistics civil augmentation program, multi-billion dollar OCONUS work. And after a few years on that program, going in and out of Afghanistan and trying to set it up, I shifted into business development. And I now have been in the BD side for 14 years. And in the beginning of 2019, I uh, founded Fortis and we've been rolling ever since. Awesome. So was there something that you kind of noticed from your previous experience at, you know, in the Marine Corps, at Floor, that with BD that really wanted, you saw a need and you were like, this is something I can do? Or uh, so after two and a half years on LogCap, you know, while serving in the Marine Corps, I worked in intelligence and I had a lot of friends who were still in the space. And uh, so after a few years at Floor, I really just questioned, you know, why aren't they working in the intel community? Because they provide a lot of the services that, you know, CIA, NSA and RO would buy. And that initial conversation, fast forward a year, turned into them creating a new business line. And I moved into business development to sell it. So I, I led all of their uh, classified sales. And then in 2019, you know, we were receiving a good amount of phone calls and requests from former competitors or, you know, people we knew in the space asking if I would jump in and help on a capture or uh, help work on an IC proposal. So we started Fortis in 2019 and it was really a capture and proposal shop, just uh, very heavily focused on the Intel community. But since that time, you know, we've grown a lot and evolved and uh, we've been developing new solutions and service offerings for customers. And really it's, you know, whatever we can come up with that we can provide to help companies navigate the federal market properly. So, you know, we we do continue to offer capture management and proposal development, but uh, these days Fortis is most Highly utilized services are typically our cost and estimating expertise and our Navigate program. And the Navigate program is where we provide uh, strategy development, uh, pipeline creation, and then ongoing pipeline management uh, to our customers. Um, and we've most have found that uh, they do have good internal resources with the right workload to you know write out their proposals and understand the story. And the greatest way that we could uh, help was getting them off of the traditional SAM.gov or GovWin where they're finding out about opportunities late and chasing all sorts of things and instead getting them a nice, clean, refined, actionable pipeline that uh, they can keep their resources, their sunk cost resources fully obligated on. Awesome. Well, thank you for your service, first off. <laughs> but that's a, it's a great segue into, you know, 
kind of what does strategy really mean in the federal space? Um, you kind of talked about that there. Can you dig a little more into that? Yeah. So, I mean, in my mind, your your strategy within the federal space is going to be the roadmap that your company develops of how you intend to grow. And it really, in my opinion, it shouldn't just be based on revenue. You know, you might have a a revenue goal or an internal plan or metrics to meet. Say you want to double your company's revenue over the next five years. That's great. It's a good plan to have. The strategy is where we take that and translate it into an actionable uh, pipeline and list of opportunities that is the realization of your strategy. You know, it's a competitive federal bidding market. So really in a well-built pipeline that you have a very honest understanding of your company, your past performance and your capabilities, and you, you identify the right opportunities that help you achieve your growth. And the increase in revenue is almost a, a secondary effect. So more than just seeing an opportunity and being like, yeah, we should go after this because it's got a good dollar amount. (laughs) (laughs) Well, right. A lot of companies, you know, uh, it's an O&M firm. So of course they're going to bid on the next boss job that comes out. However, if they had an overarching strategy of what they wanted to be, what services they wanted to grow into, or even if it is a financial based goal, but identifying hey, we do want to double our revenue in five years. Is that even available in your market or what market expansion, what adjacencies would we have to get into to make that happen? And then where should we be on year two and year three? And then again, all of that, it's it's federal competitive bidding. So all of it is just good ideas and thoughts and plans until it materializes in a pipeline of opportunities that you can pursue and bid on and potentially win to execute the strategy. So like you said, your pipeline is essentially your strategy because until you find the opportunities that can be bid and won, you know, you're just kind of spinning your gears. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. In my opinion, or what we try to do with clients uh, is first conducting that, you know, very honest review we would call discovery, but what capabilities do you have? What past performance and experience is available will be deemed relevant? What socioeconomic status or access to contract vehicles do you have? And just really understanding your competitive positioning in the market and specifically from a customer's perspective. And then another important feature would be having a lot of clarity on your identity as a company, um, you know, constant pursuit and proposals can oftentimes slowly shift a company to their focus really being pursuing revenue. You know, they're banging out the same proposals over and over. And so the pipeline kind of becomes stale because they're just going after whatever hits their search results. And, you know, really understanding who you are and, well, what are we trying to do in the space? It might be a professional services contract, but why us? Or why are we going after this one? And every opportunity uh, should be either it was a goal to get it awarded or as a stepping stone towards another goal. Right. Building on that past performance that you that gets you to where you want to go rather than just winning those dollars and being like, sweet, we can keep the doors open for another six months. Right. Yeah. I mean, people want to keep their, their workforce employed and you have to have kind of your book of business and maybe even annuities in place. But I mean, that's a base requirement of all business. If you wanted to build a really aggressive strategy, I would recommend, you know, an asymmetric approach to the market. So instead of just looking at, you know, what you already registered for your NAICS codes and your PSCs and what the search results are going to hit from GovWin, instead, we've seen companies have great success where they 
went and identified a single program that to them was a mega program that they knew they were not qualified to go after then, but they would identify a program two and a half years away and say, wow, that's a $300 million. It'd be amazing to be on that. It's three years away. What would we have to do between now and then to be a prime bidder? And they did a full gap analysis, made a necessary acquisition, identified which smaller contracts that really didn't seem very attractive. However, they were the perfect past performance or filled the gap for this. And so based on that identification of something out of reach, they could then build a strategy on, great, now we know where we're going. We know our identity. We know why we want to get there. And we understand what missteps or successes along the way means to our strategy. But it's a, it's almost a, a reverse process. Uh, companies decide who they are and who they want to be when they grow up and then backwards plan of how you make that happen. Right. Kind of find as you go. Which... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, and so it, I, honestly, I think it, it's a lot of fun when people jump into it the right way. You know, there's a lot of traditional and then some newer approaches that I think are really helpful, like a, starting with the why and understanding the values of the organization, really understanding what you guys want to sell, but also what does the government want to buy, you know, and then finding that overlap between the what you want to sell to the government, what they want to buy, and the available opportunities that you could bid on to execute that. You know, it's a fairly finite market. The government's huge, but there are only so many opportunities released on any given day. And waiting for the government to make an announcement or hoping to find them in that way, just it seems risky to us. Instead, you know, forecasting five years down the road and seeing, you know, where do we want to be? What would we expect between now and then? Are there programs that we would want to pursue? And everything should be part, in my opinion, of a, of a larger overall plan and development. Being proactive rather than like sit here and wait to see stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it allows for an opportunity for positioning. You can get in front of customers when there isn't a competition going on. Um, and of course, it's unique to every environment. If you're in construction, you have to pay a lot of attention to what the AE firms are doing and what programs are being let to stay ahead of your pipeline. If you're in O&M, you can forecast off of recompetes on five-year contracts, kind of the same with professional services. So, I mean, with each space you'd get into, there's nuances and niches of you know how to do it properly. But overall, I think the greater topic of what is strategy in the federal space, yeah, we think it... it the realization of your strategies and effective pipeline uh, with the right P-win and win rate. And we think there's really interesting and important ways to build that based on not what should we bid on tomorrow, but where do we want to be in five years and who are we honestly today in the government's eyes? In your experience, have you found a, a decent amount of whether there were customers or people that you talked with that they didn't pay too much attention to P-win or as uh, close of attention they, as they should have? You know, that almost seems cultural. I've helped some firms that they don't put a lot of credibility or effort into PWIN or they don't toss the language around in BD meetings even. Uh, but I've been at others that really break it down to a go and a get and a calculation that drives their uh, forecasted revenue, especially for publicly traded firms. So I find it's a bit cultural. Uh, you can kind of put the number anywhere you, you want it often. But what's probably most important is that within any organization, they need consistency. So if you're going to call an opportunity that looks like this, a uh, 50% P-win, I, I probably wouldn't disagree with, or uh, agree with that in the government space, but that's fine. Just make sure you call every opportunity that you are that position for 50% 
and everything else accordingly, because all you're really doing with PWIN is prioritizing. You have the commodities of time and energy in your team, right? So what do, what do you want them working on? If you have a good strategy, a good pipeline, and you're able to stay ahead of the market, then your people internally can spend their time, one, not being overloaded, but having a consistent BD workload that they really understand the identity and the value the company provides, and they're translating it into the proposals. And I think I, you touched on it, the resources that are available. If you have people chasing all this stuff that you know isn't winnable, it's taking time away from what is obtainable which means you're going to have a lower P-Win. Right. Well, you'd have a lower P-Win or, you know, if you have uh, one of your sales guys out there and he tracks down a $5 million bid and it's good and it's exactly what you guys do. And However, it was just one more contract, but realistically, there was a much better opportunity that actually grew us into a new scope or brought in a new customer. So it's really just you know, make a resource loaded plan and how many bids can we handle at a time? How many captures can we handle at a time? And once you map that out, then you look at the market and it's not, you know, what can we win? It's what is the best opportunity for us to be working on during these times? If you were to talk with someone who's just getting started in the federal contracting space, three top things, three top pieces of advice that you'd give them, what would they be? Hmm. I, I mean, you, you, <laughs> there's so many things come to mind about it's the governments. You're going to have to be really patient and flexible and say yes to everything you can. And uh, But three top pieces of advice. You're only as good as your past performance. Uh, there, there's lots of great writers out there and lots of companies can put in effort to come up with really good solutions. The one thing that's black and white on paper is going to be that past performance that they look back, you qualify, you don't, you have good CPARs or you don't. So I'd say that's probably the strongest place to start is base your immediate decisions on what is my available and strongest past performance that I could build a strategy around how to use it. And then secondly, I'd say uh, is relationships. It's, you know, government employees switch seats every couple of years. People get promoted, people move around. And then even within industry, uh, just the amount of movement of people on the ground executing work and then executive and director level. It's amazing to me how often, you know, these small relationships or someone you worked with, you'll find out that you know, they're in a very different seat and it just, it seems to create a lot of opportunity. So I know it's the business world, it's the government world. And so, uh, but honestly, maybe that's the reason why, but make as many friends as you can talk to people, be in person when possible. And it, it really, it creates more opportunity in my opinion. And then, yeah, I guess the third one would be, you know, try not to, the government's huge and you can get really bogged down on a certain pursuit or the certain relationships and how one specific customer operates or works. So, you know, while it's great to get into those spaces and get that kind of institutional knowledge, make sure you're always kind of coming back to that plan, coming back to that strategy going, hey, does this make sense? Or is this still what we want to be doing? Uh, has anything else come out and just, you know, be willing to step away and refresh? Because if you have a strong sense of the logic behind what you're bidding on, the, the solutions come together easier. They make more sense. They're better received by customers. So it just it seems very helpful. Awesome. Yeah, there's, you know, in the business world, there's a lot, a lot of different nuances and especially in the government contracting space. And, you know, I have a very uh, limited background in government contracting, but it seems like there's so many things that often get overlooked that are like, almost like no brainers sometimes. 
Yeah, a, a lot of that, you'll see that happen. I'm, I'm always shocked by no bids I see companies make and then the things that they do go after. The more an organization can embrace, you know, very, very early and sometimes difficult decision making, I think it's better. You know, I figure out what's the minimum amount of information we need to know to decide if this is a good opportunity or the right investment for our firm and make that decision as early as possible. I would just really always be on the lookout for a middle ground strategy. You know, you are either throwing everything you have at it or dumping it at all because someone's going to throw everything they have at it. (laughs) Right. And kind of have to tightrope that strategy of like, should we change because we aren't doing well? Or, you know, is do we have to stick to our guns and know that we're making the right decisions by not bidding on X, Y, or Z? Yeah, well, my uh, favorite question, and again, it'll go back to resources and workload. And look, you know, bid something that's not a good fit. You don't have, great. That's, that's a good, healthy decision. But if you are kind of middle ground on it, it just, it serves to, to hurt everybody. So yeah, I think it's better to make the hard no bid decision, but then ask the question, okay, if we're not going to bid that, and I'm sure we had a reason why, then what are they working on instead? Because that's what that's what the pipeline really is, and that's what the sales team should be trying to control. Is that's a flow of workload. Uh, so I want to make sure that my proposal writers, my estimators, uh, just my company as a whole has the right and best available opportunity to put their energy into at any given time. Not too many, not four RFPs at once and right when they drop, but forecast it out and know what we're working on and know why we're working on it. And that makes sense. <laughs> and that that gets back that gets back to the old, you know. It, it sounds so simple, but gets overlooked. Yeah, it's the government's a really, really complicated uh, organization. There's so many unique pieces. And uh, when people ask us, you know, how would you describe what you do? My favorite explanation is, well, we're translators. Uh, we're really good at understanding how the government communicates and spends money and lets contracts. And we're pretty good at understanding how companies execute work and make money. And then the job is just translating, putting those together, putting the right customers, the right opportunities, and then uh, writing the right proposal. When I've talked with um, a few government officials, the advice that they always give to other contractors is like, know the language, know the language of the agency that you're going to speak with. They're like, think about it as a different country. You go to one country, they're speaking this language. They're not speaking the same language here. You have to adapt and have someone, if you don't have them internally, you have to find someone who knows that language and can help. Yeah, no, that's that's great advice. You know, it's especially you get into the niche areas of, you know, the intel community or special operations. It can be a very Donnie Brasco type environment of you need someone to walk in as a friend of mine before you can become a friend of ours. And understanding the lexicon, speaking the same language regarding clearances, or if they say KO or CO and little things like that, I think really send a message of if you're in the club or not, so to speak. Yeah. And seeing all the different acronyms, I, I oh, don't, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe the amount of acronyms that exist in this world. <laughs> yeah. I, at some point I think they're just doing it for fun. It seems like that sometimes it really does. I mean, the best thing about those barriers to entry is when you know how to cross them. That's true. And that's why they need someone like you. It's, um, <laughs> we, we, we've encountered a lot of success. Uh, we, we, we continue to develop our strategies and try to bring novel ideas to customers, different ways to see the space. 
Um, and, you know, we have the benefit of the only thing we do is BD. I, we, I have a team of data analysts that do nothing but review government opportunities and correct data and classify properly and make sure they're sorted. And so it's, you know, the government puts out the commodity of all their data, but really polishing that into a product that helps people is where they, they spend most of their time. But as a result, yeah, we can, we run through these things fairly quickly, just based on repetition, I guess. No, I know this could be, it could go down the rabbit hole quickly, (laughs) but quickly between capture and BD, like I said, you could go on forever about it probably, but And uh, yeah, I think that, you know, it depends on the person to me. I kind of use BD to, uh, that's all business development, right? But if capture versus sales, I'd say your your salesperson is out front and they're focused on the brand and understanding the customer. I want my sales guy to know an opportunity is coming before anything's been posted and be able to communicate hot buttons and win themes back to me. The capture manager, I think, is more of now figure out how to win. So the sales guy got you a forecast. The client knows who we are. We have decent branding, but at the end of the day, it comes down to an RFP. So before that hits, what's the capture plan? How are we going to take down this opportunity? Why are they going to pick us? And so I think that's really, you know, they're, they're a little more internal, preferably they've spent some time in the operations side. So they really understand the solutions that they're helping to drive. And again, just, you know, translate from the RFP requirements are this section M says they're going to evaluate us this way. These are the gaps we have to fill and, you know, really hurting cats and bringing that whole solution together. Yeah. I've, I've spent time in both roles. I, uh, we are much more of a capture focused organization, uh, than a sales. We, we have friends and, you know, a network and we can get in touch with customers and all that, but we really focus on, you know, winning by the numbers, being ahead of the opportunity, positioning properly, trying to be ahead of the market segment and, you know, with some clever ideas and then running through fairly traditional capture work of creating a solution and then writing about it the right way. Having a long-term strategy rather than kind of that short-sighted, short-sighted oh, yeah. strategy. <laughs> What do you put in your executive summary of, you know, company A is bidding on this because we're really excited to cut the grass for the army. I mean, that's, or, you know, we've spent years supporting the army and are continuing to grow and advance, blah, 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 blah. But it's, it's bigger than this one opportunity. So therefore it's not just about immediate return on revenue. It makes it easier for the writers. It makes it easier for the reader to understand and believe you uh, that starting with the why, why are we here? Why are we in this market? Why, why am I bidding on this? I think it's hugely important. There's actually a, a TED talk by Simon Sinek that uh, if you haven't heard it or anyone who listens to this, you should definitely go listen to that. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. No, he, he, I've, I don't think I've heard that one, but I've heard other talks from him and he's, he's always phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's uh, I don't know. Overall, we, we have a lot of fun doing strategy the way we do it and uh, working, you know, with our customers. We have very, very, long-standing close relationships that you know we feel like we really see the market on their behalf we filter out 95 percent of the stuff they don't have to waste their time on and we deliver products to them so they can just choose what to execute instead of searching through the abyss help them focus on the why versus the what (laughs) right exactly (laughs) well awesome so are you a soccer fan by chance uh, I don't dislike it, but I don't, I don't follow it too avidly. I hear we are, uh, the U S was playing, uh, Iran today, I believe. Yeah. So yeah, they, they won one, nothing yesterday, I believe. Nice. I assume yep. you are. 
Uh, I do like soccer, yes, but I didn't know if you had any uh, any bold predictions for the World Cup. Oh no! I, all, of our, <laughs> all of our decisions are made by numbers uh, intentionally. I would have to I'd have to go back and look at some things before I could even guess. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, any any closing thoughts or um, remarks that you want to throw out there, quick? Um, no, I think uh, it's it's just always a good idea to kind of take a step back, see what other customers, government customers are buying similar services. Don't be scared away by that lexicon. And just, I don't know, I always try to keep in mind that my goal is to sell the customer what they want to buy, not what I want to sell. So your job on the BD side is matching those capabilities and then translating why it's the right fit. Awesome. Well, thank you, Stephen. From Fortis LLC, I give you a shout out here again at the end. Thank you for your time today and hope to have you back on again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This podcast was presented by Federal Compass, software that enables strategy, growth, and process for federal contractors and the federal market.